You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 403, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Brian Mariani. Damian Galarza is the VP of Engineering at Bowie Software. Bowie is building software for good, connected intelligence, and unlocks more plasma supply. Thanks for joining us today, Damian. Thanks, Brittany and Brian. I'm super excited to be here. Fabulous. Well, Damian, what is your developer origin story? Sure. So when I was a kid, I was fortunate enough to have a computer like very young. I was playing around with DOS shell, Windows 3.1. I even remember when Windows 95 was like a big thing coming out. So I've always had a computer around, I think in around elementary school or junior high, I started playing with HTML and CSS and things like that and found out like super exciting to build web pages and things like that. In high school, I had my first computer class that wasn't learning how to type or how to use Microsoft Word, but instead was an intro to programming with QBasic. And that's where I really got like hooked into software development. It was so cool to be able to like actually make the computer do something for me. So I kind of dug in from there into things like Visual Basic, found myself setting up some web hosting of my own with forums for PHP for my friends to use like playing video games, setting up a blog on things like movable type. And so all things web. So I found that really interesting. From there, I went into college and, you know, I started computer science. I didn't spend as much time doing things like homework or studying. It kind of bored me, but I actually went home and spent a ton of time working on side projects and kind of self-teaching myself different things. So even though I was doing a lot of self-learning, though, I didn't have a lot of confidence, I didn't think at the time to like dig into it as a career. But I found my first kind of internship where it was at an agency in the city and got to do a lot of HTML and CSS and JavaScript. Now, from there, I started to get a lot more confident in my abilities of learning on the job, which was something at the time I didn't realize was going to be so important throughout my career. So moving out from front end and HTML and CSS, I got to do a bit more of PHP for some in-house tools and later Ruby on Rails. After a few jobs, I finally decided that what I really wanted to do was be a full stack developer in Ruby on Rails. I knew that following conventional work configuration, test-driven development, and all of the things that Rails stood for was the thing that I wanted to do. And I knew that I just needed to get my foot in the door somewhere to get my first job and make it work, which actually Brian helped me find my first uh, Ruby on Rails job. And that's a nice segue into my first question. Damien and I have known each other a while. I'd like the listeners to know that for sure. But it's always been a pleasure, Damien. I've had sort of a front row seat to your sort of career trajectory. And I'd love if you could get the listeners kind of up to speed on your path to VP of engineering and sort of how you would define what you do. Sure. Yeah. So that was my first Ruby on Rails job. I worked there for a few months. And after that, I was promoted to a lead Ruby on Rails engineer there. Worked there for a little bit. Unfortunately, that startup wasn't sustainable and had to shut down. So I found my next Ruby on Rails job. I think a friend of mine at the time was working somewhere. I joined his company. I worked there only for a few months because then ThoughtBot actually announced that they were opening in New York City. And at the time I was living in that area. And I had always been following ThoughtBot for a long time. You know, as someone who's self-taught, I spent a lot of time in the ThoughtBot blog, looking at their open source projects and everything. And I knew that this was a place that I wanted to work. And so I was fortunate enough to be one of the first engineers hired at the New York City office. And from there, I worked there for about five years. And it gave me the opportunity to work on a lot of different projects, projects of all shapes and sizes. I even got to teach a Ruby on Rails bootcamp for a few weeks while I was there. 
But it really helped me find what I really enjoy and found that my greatest joy was working on projects that were early stage startups, helping set up the framework for the future product team and engineering teams to grow and setting up the processes to help them succeed. And that's what I feel like my most important job at Bowie is, is making sure that the team has all the tools in place to succeed and grow while still being able to write code myself. Because I do find writing code is part of my greatest joys. And I, I do try to be an individual contributor as much as I can still. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question, Damien, was just sort of how do you stay technical at the VP level? Yeah. So I would say from technical skill perspective, to keep up on things, I do a lot of reading. I have a long list of books that I like to read. I listen to a lot of podcasts like this one, following email lists like Ruby Weekly, Postgres Weekly, those types of things. And so that's day to day how I kind of try to keep up to date with what's going on out in the land. While day to day from work experience, I try to teach and lead by kind of like show how, don't tell what, so that I can work closely with the team to help them, you know, whether it's mentoring opportunities and things like that to help teach, because I think that's the most effective way to have team members learn, but also gives me an opportunity to see like what other people are working on and what the day-to-day experience of the development team is. Would you mind actually getting the listeners up to speed on Bowie and what you guys do and what the mission is? I think that'd be great. So like Brittany said, Bowie is building software that is connected intelligence to unlock more plasma supply. So as far like what is plasma? So if you don't know, plasma comes actually from our blood and our blood is 90% water and 10% proteins. Plasma is needed actually for life-saving therapeutics for those who are immune compromised. One of the proteins that is in your blood is called immunoglobulin. And there are people who do not actually produce immunoglobulin. The only way they can get these medications is through plasma donations. And so what happens is you go to donate, the plasma is extracted from your blood, and then the pharmaceutical companies can actually make these medications for them. So there's a lot of people who depend on these every day, and that is growing as time grows. So there's a growing demand in these medications, and the supply of plasmas is shorter. So we're trying to build that software to help unlock more supply. So, of course, I'm going to have to ask, what is the current stack of Bowie? The first project we started off was building the mobile app for kind of the donor experience. So this was a native app. We built it using React Native. We powered it via a GraphQL API, and that was built with Ruby on Rails. When we first started this, we only needed some kind of basic admin functionality. So we used the administrate gem for that. And then we moved on to kind of the software for running the center and making the center more efficient. And so that was built within the same Rails repo using React so that we can kind of consume that same GraphQL API and share some of that common work between React Native and, say, the Rails app. So we've been following kind of what DHH called the majestic monolith for a while. But as we've been kind of growing, we've been thinking about splitting apart those into two separate Rails apps. If you had to do it all over again, would you stick with GraphQL or would you have gone with Rust? I would say I would stick with GraphQL. Actually, what's funny is when I first started, I had started with Rust, but a friend of mine, an old coworker, was like, hey, have you thought about trying GraphQL? And I was like, oh. I guess I can check that out. And so I think I was only like about a week into the project. And so I kind of like took a week to kind of go back and restart with GraphQL. I mean, I found it really useful and really helpful to work with. Very cool. How old is the application now? Uh, I would say it's about two and a half years. Oh, cool. So you're at that point where you're really starting to figure out how to scale things. Yeah, exactly. This episode is brought to you by Hook Relay from our friends at Honey Badger. Do you integrate your apps with third parties like Stripe, GitHub, Slack, or Trello? If you want quality webhooks, like Stripes, for example, 
There's more than just sending a JSON payload to your customer's URL and calling it a day, right? That's where Hook Relay comes in. Hook Relay is a service that makes sending and receiving webhooks reliable, secure, and transparent automatically. Users are amazed at the visibility they've gained in their webhooks. Without Hook Relay, you have no idea how many requests you're processing. With Hook Relay, you can watch your traffic, inspect each request, and much more. It's like X-ray vision. Of course, if your app or your integration partners are being flaky, you'll love the peace of mind that comes with knowing that no matter what happens, Hook Relay will make sure that your webhooks are delivered. Skip days of grunt work rolling your own webhook system and get reliable webhooks for your app in minutes, not days. Go to hookrelay.dev to get started and check webhooks off your to-do list. What has been some of your biggest technical challenges? So I would say rebuilding the Plasma donor experience using a native app was the biggest challenge so far. We had to build kind of a loyalty-based program with rules that reflect the rules of donating Plasma because the FDA regulates like how often you can donate and things like that. And so we had to kind of build that into that application. Is there any gamification at play or what is the incentive for somebody to download the app? Yeah, so there is gamification. So we have different levels. So there's levels one through seven. And so the higher you progress up the level chain, the more you can actually earn when you go in and donate. And so that's all built around this kind of notion of donation cycles, which are basically 30 day periods where as long as you donate as to meet the requirements, you'll stay that level. So, for example, level one, you have to donate at least once in the 30 day period to maintain that level. That makes sense. So let's go years from now. Buoy is wildly successful. Everyone has it on their phone. What is an interesting technical challenge that you see coming up on the horizon? And is Rails one of them? I would say one of our technical challenges will be actually building some more software for efficiently staffing a center. In order to unlock more and more plasma supply, we need to be able to open up in smaller and smaller markets. And the only way to make that cost effective is to be able to make sure we can efficiently staff a center. And I think that will be one of the interesting problems as we grow over time. That makes sense. Now, as someone who aspires to be a VP of engineering one day, but is somebody who actively works on our engineering culture, how would you define the buoy engineering culture? We recently actually started taking some time to write this down because as we were trying to hire, we wanted to really make sure we identified what our culture looked like. I would say it's kind of made up of the following. So number one is we want everybody on the engineering team to be autonomous, independent, and have responsibility on what they're working on. We want people to be able to kind of join the team and hit the ground running on day one. While engineering is also involved in all aspects of work. So from brainstorming features to maintaining it once it's shipped. And we also really do believe in full stack engineering. So we want people who are comfortable to work across the stack. You don't have to be an expert in everything because it's going to be very hard to do that. But you might have tendencies to lean towards one, but you are interested in at least learning or participating in the other pieces. The other thing that comes to mind is preferring simplicity over complexity. We believe that solving the problem at hand is the most important without trying to like guess at future functionality or make something super complex as you go along. How has it changed over time? What did the engineering team start at? And now where are you currently at? So I was the first hire. And so for a bit, I was the only one, you know, writing the software while working on all the other things. We hired our first engineer a few months later. And since then, we're at about seven engineers right now. Excellent. Let's kind of dive into scaling the engineering team. I know that's something I'm helping you do right now. 
kind of staffing up and doing some recruiting. So obviously for all those listening, if you like what you hear from Damien, by all means, reach out to us because the timing's perfect to kind of join on a very impactful mission at Bowie. If you had to sort of give the listeners the number one trait that you're looking for in engineers, what would you say? I would say adaptability is kind of the most important. It's kind of hard to pick just one thing, but adaptability, because we need to be able to grow and be able to move from, say, whether it's adapting to different technologies or other new ways of working or how we think about things and how we evolve. So I think that's the most important piece, because as a team, we're always looking to improve our practices and our processes. And so adaptability is the most important. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Okay, now let's talk about the current hiring market. How have you guys adjusted? You know, a lot has happened in the last, and we've, we've talked about this a few times, last year and a half, two-ish years. So much has changed with the world going remote, et cetera. I'd just love to hear how you guys have adjusted to the current hiring market as well. For us, we actually didn't have to really change too much, fortunately enough. Before COVID, we were already a remote first team. So this helped us kind of transition into that pretty seamlessly. We've already had our practices in place to be working as a distributed team, being able to collaborate remotely. So we were fortunate enough to have that kind of already going. Yeah, that has been a key advantage to a lot of companies. Well, let's move on to my final question, which is, does Bowie have a secret sauce for onboarding? I would say a few of the things for onboarding. So number one, when someone new joins the team, we kind of pair them up with an onboarding buddy. So if they have any questions throughout the week or anything like that, they have someone they know is their key point person to chat with. We have a guides repo, which was kind of inspired from the ThoughtBot guides, which kind of dictates how we work as a team, things like that. We break up onboarding so that it's across multiple meetings, across multiple days. And this is kind of a time where typically I think it's about one hour blocks where the engineer or new team member will meet with product to kind of discuss like different features and go through the whole application in hour long span so that they're not overwhelmed with, hey, here's everything about all of the pieces of software at once. Aside from that, we have a pretty well-documented readme as well as like a bin setup script so that you should be able to run that and kind of get your environment up and running and be able to hit the ground running. So Damien, I'm curious at Textus, we have a Ruby on Rails backend and we have a React native mobile application and we have a React front end. With Rails 7, there's been a big push for Hotwire and Stimulus and all of that. Do you still believe that React and Rails go together? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I actually recently upgraded one of our apps to Rails 7 and we use actually the JS bundling Rails that is out there now as part of Rails 7. So we actually moved off of Webpacker and are now using ES Build with it. I mean, it's been a really nice migration. So I definitely think there's still ways to do it. I would say before this, I was always very much of the mindset of static pages, just using ERB or, you know, I'd be a big fan of something like Hotwire. The tool set that we had in place and that ability to move from, say, React Native to the Rails stack and not have such a cognitive switch between like, okay, this is how I work in React Native with React and this is how I work in Rails. I still definitely think that there's a benefit for teams that want to still use React within Rails. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. So because you have that React Native mobile application and you want these developers to be able to be proficient in both the mobile application and the web app, it makes sense to continue to use React on the front end. Now, let's say that the mobile application is no longer a requirement. Everything is the web. 
and you were to do it all over again, would you consider Hotwire? Yeah, I definitely would. I would definitely consider Hotwire for something if I didn't need to kind of share that between the two. I'm definitely intrigued by what it offers. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. How about for the different roles that you're hiring onto the team? Have you noticed a pattern around hiring a junior or a mid or a senior who has the ability to switch between React Native and Rails? I would say we're mostly focused on senior hiring right now. And I would say those who are senior and have at least had some React experience have had an easier transition between the two. It is interesting because, say, from the React Native side, it is useful to have some mobile development experience. Before I started this, I had done some native application development with Swift. And so I had at least kind of the core concepts of just generally like how a native app kind of works so that it was a bit easier to kind of transition into React Native. And it's those kind of concepts that are the things that need to be wrapped your head around. Like, for instance, in React Native, Flexbox works a bit differently. By default, things are columns instead of rows, things like that that you have to wrap your head around when you're moving between the two. You mentioned earlier, too, that you were using Administrate, which I really love that gem as well, in order to do your admin interface within the Rails application. Have you stuck with that or have you moved to something custom? So we still use that while still having some things custom. But I would say for the things that we don't necessarily need, say, employees to necessarily use as much, or we can just kind of throw inside of that administrate admin. How about architecture? Once you know that you're going to be taking on like a big project, is that still within your realm to help determine what that's going to look like? Do you collaborate with the senior developers to decide, you know, maybe take us through like a large architecture decision that you might have made recently? I would say it kind of depends on the feature. So we recently started approaching the team and splitting up into what we call pods. Different pods are covering, say, donor experience, and the others are covering the software that is used in the facility to run more efficiently. And so each of those pods has a pod leader, and they're more responsible for kind of coming up with the plan of how they might architect and how they might, you know, solution those things and pull me in as they need, because we're all always collaborating together. But everyone's set to be autonomous and independent to to work through those things on their own. Very cool. And are you following Agile at this point? Yes, we are. We follow Agile. We follow more of a Kanban style when it comes to our process. We don't follow a sprint or anything like that. So we have a Trello board. It is ordered in priority order and things are there so that you can pick up whatever's next up in that list. So you should always know what you need to work on. And we release as often as we can. That's fantastic. 
Neo, on the hiring front, this is a mission that is probably very close to a lot of people that work at Bowie. I imagine that incentivizes people to come work for you because it's helping people. And so I'm curious, have engineers like actually partaked in using the app and like how has that experience been? I don't think that we've had any engineers getting to be able to partake in the app itself. But we definitely have heard a lot of stories from donors and as well as from people who need the therapeutics that are provided through Plasma. And it's always great to hear all of the stories of how we are making a difference and what that means. It's always very exciting. All right, Damien. So a lot of people listening here, I'm sure you've probably piqued their interest in what Bowie does. If someone wanted to be a part of it or explore it a little bit, it might be helpful to kind of get some of the listeners up to speed on what the interview process looks like at Bowie, if you could walk us through that. So typically the interview process, we kick off with an intro call with me. So I can kind of just learn about them as well as they can ask any questions and learn more about Bowie as a whole and our processes and things like that. From there, what we usually do is move on to a technical interview with our director of engineering, Greg Wilson. But he will kind of walk through and ask some questions just to kind of get an idea of, you know, technical proficiency and where they might land within the stack and things like that. Assuming that goes well, what we typically do is move on to what we consider a day of pairing, assuming that works for everybody's schedule. So what we usually do is have the candidate pair in the morning with one engineer from our team and then pair in the afternoon with another member of our team. And so this gives both the candidate and us a chance to work together so that the candidate can see what it's like to work with our team and we can see what it would be like to work, you know, day to day with them. And then from there, you know, we try to introduce them to if possible at the end of the day, just kind of like a quick zoom of like, hey, meet the rest of the team kind of casually and move on from there. That's great. Yeah. Sounds like a very fair and realistic process. No computer science pop quiz questions, nothing esoteric. (laughs) It sounds very doable. So that's great. Yeah. Is anybody getting away with that anymore? I feel like (laughs) that is a a major no-no anymore. But, you know, I do see stories on Twitter every once in a while of some horror interview stories. So glad to hear that Bowie has such a good interview process. So as we're starting to wrap up, Damien, What are your thoughts on the future of the both the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? As we talked about a little bit earlier that recently with the release of Rails 7, we've upgraded, moved off of Webpacker to JS Bundling Rails. I'm super excited to see kind of the stance that Rails has been taking on JavaScript and front-end assets as a whole. It's always been the convention over configuration and the opinionated framework. And it has those things in place, say with say Hotwire, things like that but still providing the tools to make it easy to kind of be able to own the whole front end experience. And so those things like that make me super excited to continue within the Rails ecosystem and see where things go over time. Do you think we'll see any of your engineers applying for the CFP for RailsConf, which by the way, is now open, everyone? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'll have to kind of prod them to see if anybody has any ideas for some talks to put up there. I bet they do. Well, Damien, how can listeners follow you? Yeah, so I'm Deco Larza on all the things like Twitter, GitHub, and LinkedIn. I'm honestly not super active on social media, but that's uh, where you can find me. And how can they find Bowie? Bowie is Bowie Software on GitHub, and BowieSoftware.com is our website. Fabulous. Damien, thank you so much for coming onto the show today and telling us all about Bowie. It sounds like a really cool tech stack, and I'm excited to see you know how you scale out. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. 
Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.